Pray with me. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Great. Okay. So chapter 11 is long. I get it. Cleanliness. Why is it long? What's his, what's his modus operandi? What's his, what's his focus here? Why is it so long? There's serious consequences for breaking mitzvot. Can you repeat everything he says unless he's going to speak louder so we can get it in here for the people that are away from here? Um, There's serious consequences for breaking the mitzvot. There are serious consequences for breaking the mitzvot. Thank you. That's true. But why is the chapter so long? He's going through an explanation of a variety of the top prohibitions or struggles that a man it would falls. have that would um, make it hard for him to okay. complete. Okay, I agree. But why is the chapter so long? There's not that many. Why is the chapter so long? What's that one fundamental... That's what he said. What's the one fundamental thing that he said that caused everything to expand so exponentially? can apply this to everything. Okay, close, close, close. True. Then I'm not going to list everything? He did say he wasn't going to list everything. That's good, too. What about the, the Nazarite? Come on. He uses this as his base formula. All right. It's that the things that are affiliated or associated with the prohibition are also prohibited. And the example he uses is that the Nazarite um, is prohibited from eating eating grapes, raisins, Vinegar as well as wine. Exactly. And so, in attachment to that, the sages he's are, are arguing that the fences are actually, and the extrapolations of the Torah commandment is the same concept exactly. as the Nazarite. So, in the same way that the Nazarite starts off being prohibited from wine, and then has a whole list of other things that follows out of that, in the same way you start off with being prohibited from committing adultery. Uh, adultery and then you have a whole long list of things that flow out. Maybe we shouldn't touch the woman. We shouldn't look at her little finger lest we look at that. You know, and, and all of this. So we've got all of these little trees and branches that are coming from it. That's exactly why. And that's why the chapter is so long. So honestly, how many people have actually finished chapters 11 and 12? Woo! Impressive, guys. So, as you walk through it, he makes it clear. It's really not as hard as it sounds. What's the hardest thing? Keeping the mental game up. Keeping the mental focus that I want this. I want to be obedient. And I need to be aware. Right? And that's, of course, encouraged by the first two traits that he went through. And that is that it is not possible to make progress along this path of Musar without... (coughs) <coughs> Torah study, study and Practice. practicing what we're doing and we do that by every day doing what? Reviewing. 
cheshbon nefesh, which means accounting of the soul. So we spend that time, whatever it may be, a few minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, sometimes two, three days, contemplating and reviewing what we've said and what we have done. So we are moving from the tzaddik, who is righteous in his actions, to the pious man, or chassid, who is also righteous in his thoughts and in his uh, actions and in his thoughts. Okay? So that's... Yeah, change the class the yeah, <laughs> I see class. I that's right. Chapter, I'm definitely still stuck in the tzaddik mode. So. That's right. I'm such a loser. I'm only a tzaddik now. I mean, oh, it's man. hard to get to the tzaddik. <laughs> yeah, you've got like, you both, man. Um, I can't remember if it was in this. I've got two Mossar studies going at the same time. So, so you and me both. Straight. Yeah, I feel um, your pain. In one of them, though. This is quietness, so keep that in mind right, this week, okay? Right. Um, oh, but it's not actually about being quiet. That's bizarre. Um, the. Uh, and one of the things talking about anger, this one goes into anger. And one of the points that gets brought up is there's like different levels and layers of it. Right. Uh, if you remember from the Perkei Avot, we've got the. Um, and he quotes the Perkei Avot several it, times. Because it's like you have the man who gets. He was angered easily, but then pacified easily. Right. And then, there's the, and, so, and then there's the man who is hard to anger, but also hard to pacify. And then, like, the best option is the one who is both hard so, to anger and easy to pacify. Right. Uh, what was blown me away, though, was when he gave the example of Hillel, because Hillel never got angry. Ever. Like, because he says, like, there's, like, a level where, like, you can you can feel that anger rising up, and, like, you, you stifle it. Like, you don't let it get out, basically. And I, I, um, I think that that's kind of, like, almost, like, where I would normally be aiming for, like, my top goal. Right, it's like, right. if you start to feel it, it's like, okay, it's not a big deal, and the person gets you in traffic, or they, someone, you know, says something's dumb to you or whatever else it's like it's okay it's not a problem but then like Hillel was so humble and that's what he said was the key he was so humble that he he thought uh, it so didn't bother him right he thought more of the other person right that if someone insulted him he just it just rolled right off it really is over the top yeah. it really is um, I don't know about you guys I, I tend to think I'm a lot like each of you but maybe in some of these ways I'm just not quite as advanced because I have a righteous son, and I find myself feeling like a weenie most of the time. So maybe you guys are closer to he than, than me. But as I'm reading this, I'm going, this haughty guy, I'm, I'm re- I'm, I, I really don't think that's me. Oh, now there's another haughty guy. Well, this haughty guy, well, well no, 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 I don't think that's, I don't think that's me either. Well, there's, third, oh, there's a third haughty guy. I used to be like this haughty guy. I may be like this haughty guy maybe once or twice a week, but this is not normally the haughty guy that I am. And then we get to the fourth and the fifth, and, you know, it's... Right. We have to work. And, and isn't, that, isn't that the encouragement? That you get the rest of your life, keep that mental focus, and deal with it. Make the change. Do the accounting and stop being that way. Did we, um, being out last week at the brink of death, wandering around Gehenna, um, <laughs> I was there with you in spirit. <laughs> <laughs> we called your soul back. 
Thanks. I needed it. We did speak of you being corrupt, hated, disgusting, banned, and an abomination. <laughs> but then we prayed for you. So <laughs> apparently, I have some sin in my life. <laughs> there is no sin without transgression. There is no tribulation, tribulation without, without transgression. transgression. There it is. Okay. Found some gunk. Oof. Oof. Do we get to humiliating a fellow in public? We were waiting for you for that one so that we could practice. Or private. Or private. Yeah. Well, let's let's move. I'm I'm just going to quickly grab my highlighted points and and just kind of bring us up to speed, and then we'll finish out the chapter. So for those of you who haven't finished reading it yet, we're going to finish the chapter. It's going to be okay. You get a few minutes between the next couple of days. Next week, we're going to be doing a, the Hanukkah class. I think all of you have already heard it. My hope and my prayer is that you're going to seek to minister and to share your experiences with those that are coming that may not be regular celebrators of Hanukkah and may, in fact, still be practicing and celebrating Christmas and Should maybe even Halloween. What? What's the H word? So, what's the Hanukkah class? Hanukkah. Is it just uh, like teaching the basics about it? Greg Upham taught a Hanukkah class two and a half, maybe three years ago, and it was top shelf. He goes through where Hanukkah came from, why. He goes through his uh, understanding that uh, the Messiah was actually conceived during Hanukkah, of course on the eighth day, and then was born during Sukkot in Tabernacle Among Us. So, he goes through his proof text for that. It's very cool. He goes through some of the other counting things. He goes through who was where and why and the priests and the orders and the, the courses. I think so. Yeah. And uh, and then he finishes it up with a reason for not practicing Christmas. So it's a great class. You'll love it. Yeah. There will be many guests. Next week you'll have my father in law, my brother in law. I beg your pardon. Brother we'll have my yeah, my brother not from another mother, but my brother from the actual mother. Yes, so my brother will be here, Fred, my father-in-law Henry, my godly father-in-law Henry, um, Rob Van Hoff, uh, teacher at uh, Beit Hillel, uh, and uh, he also he's also teaching at another synagogue. Uh, he'll be here with his eldest son, I think, eighteen years old, Andrew. Uh, and we'll also have David McDonald from Torah Resort, uh, from Torah North, uh, will be here as well. So we're going to have a lot of guys here, and uh, it should be uh, it should be a fun time. So you've got two weeks to finish eleven and twelve, and then start thirteen. So I'm going to I'm going to quickly bring us through uh, my de- a deceitful person. This is one who's acting corruptly. Is uh, is called five different things in the scripture. Corrupt, hated, disgusting, banned, and and an abomination, and he is pretty much talking about theft, and uh, and we went through that once before. Um, most people stumble with regard to theft, but a minority with regard to illicit relationships, and I think we went through that over the past two weeks, and hoping that we're we're moving away from that. Everyone knows why a bride enters the chuppah, but anyone who perverts his mouth and actually says it is in deep doo-doo. Um, after theft and illicit relations, 
he spoke about kosher and the foods whose consumption is not only prohibited, but actually causes our soul to be defiled. He spoke about how close it is to be a kosher slaughtered animal versus a non-kosher slaughtered animal. You know, whether the trachea is cut, I mean, it literally is a hair's breadth. And maybe you didn't catch that. So you cannot cause meat to be strangled or to be without air. So the shochet must make sure that he cuts both of these arteries on either side of the windpipe, but does not cut through the windpipe. If the windpipe is severed and air actually is able to escape, it's not a kosher slaughter. That meat cannot be eaten by us. That's what God says. So um, he's saying the front edge of that trachea is not really that thick. And if your blade cuts through it, it's a hair's breadth from where it should have been. And that's the difference between kosher and non-kosher. So are we really talking about putting rat poison on your plate and wondering if you're going to eat it? Or should we really just stop and say, hang on a second. Has this meat been properly slaughtered or not? I can tell you this hit me very hard, personally. And um, I've, uh, I was actually talking to a righteous man this afternoon about how we share changes <coughs> in our lives as men. How, how do you... How do you change the halakha of your whole household? Do you just walk in and say, well, darn it, we've been wrong. Let's fix that right now. always goes over well. Yeah, yeah, that goes over real well. Um, My practice um, has been over the past 31 years to introduce the topic, let my bride know that I'm thinking about it and I'm praying about these matters and that the Lord is working on my heart. A week later, I return to that uh, same conversation and make it clear that the Lord is really convicting me and that we're probably going to want to make some changes. And then I finally return with, um, an, as it were, an edict for my family to say, you know what, this seems best. So I've already prepared my wife that, uh, not unlike my righteous son, I am uh, going to move my, my family to eating nothing but hectured meat. She's made it clear that she'll become a vegetarian, which is fine. That just saves us money. But <laughs> um, it is an expense. That does not even enter into the equation for me, just so you know. And I'm trying to share my art so that you know how I'm making these decisions so that maybe you'll make these decisions or maybe you can make these decisions easier. Um, I think kosher meat is often very tough and not the most pleasant to eat. And I'm all about the pleasure of the meal. The best wine, the best meat, the best company. Is there anything better? I say no. So we're probably not going to move to just hectured meat, but hectured meat that also happens to be grass-fed and gets manicured every day. So, um, Where are you finding those things? They don't have organic texture. Well, they do. They do. But it, it costs more than my first car. Trader Joe's has it. They not do. organic. Not, yeah. It's they, the they, they don't have organic. But uh, you can find the hectured grass-fed or the hectured organic. You can't normally find hectured organic grass-fed. Um, but I want, I want the meat to be palatable and worth yeah. eating. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll let you know where I'm finding it. But Just a um, tidbit. This article I was reading. It was a trade show. 
um, where the guy was going to talk on kosher meat versus, versus uh, you know, what all it does, why the price of meat's high, this. And then he compares kosher meat to organic meat. Yeah. And he was like, like, organic's not that big of a deal. Like, here's what it takes to be organic. Like, what we're looking at here, the fruit of this whole movement hasn't been that great. Yeah. Non-GMO food. Now, of course, the trade show is pitching kosher meat. Yeah. But even my buddy Kyle and a lot of people in that industry who not do, do the kosher thing um, as a commandment, they do it because it's cheaper than, like, super organic grass-fed. Yeah. Um, but also because, like, it was, like, that 80-20 rule, like, 80% or 90% of the toxins or whatever are happen at the slaughter. Okay. And only a little bit is, like, pre-slaughter, yeah. grass-fed, GMOs. Yeah. Okay, so Doesn't we'll have to have a separate, yeah. separate class on that, but I can tell you that there is kosher slaughtered meat that is hectured It doesn't rise to my caliber of really good meat. Um, hectored meat certainly is going to be not only slaughtered, but also kept in a cleaner environment than your concert beef flat cow. Um, but the grass-fed beef, the uh, the uh, the uh, the non-GMO stuff, the, the stuff that's not fed all the corn and stuff like that. You know, that meat not only tastes better, but I think it's better for us. And uh, since my bride is already affected by the changes that man has made to some of the crops, um, I'm, I'm a little sensitive to that. But, again, different class, um, but I'm with it. And uh, so, anyway, I just wanted you to know that that's where, where we're leaning. Um, and... Uh, and I've made I've made that known to my wife uh, a couple of times now, and you know when I draw that line in the sand, that's what we're going to do in our home. And uh, so there it is. I think you mentioned it uh, last week with Food Inc. That documentary. Yeah. yeah. That is such a good example of all of the ways that you like. Those are the things that you avoid just by getting a stamp. Not even getting the organic kosher. That's right. The, the this documentary Food Inc. is just about how they literally recycle like parts of the slaughtered animal into the feed for, for the, the next animal. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, just, they cut corners in yeah. so many it really ways is astonishing. in, like, mass market f- foods that would be completely inappropriate from a kosher standpoint. I mean, yeah. the, you, you guys have read, like, how you treat your animal, right, like, the, from the proverb. So, I mean, this is, like, every step of the way, your yeah. kosher meat is going to be, like, good to go. Yeah. Even just the raising of it and all that. Yeah. So, so the, the, only, the only question for me, then, with hectured meat is whether or not the taste of the meat is oh, as yeah, good yeah. as it could be. And then you're getting not into hexure rules, not into kosher rules, but rather what did the cow eat? Yeah. Not only did he eat good stuff, but could he eat other stuff? So, anyway, there it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so then we moved on to a hurtful speech, and I think this is uh, where you were going. And uh, we're looking at uh, uh, scanning, scanning, scanning. Uh, page 203, 204 is what I'm up to in case you're following along. What's the location code on that? Yeah. yeah. Um, so page 203, 204 is what we're looking at there. And uh, humiliating one's fellow, 
causing a blind person to stumble by wrong advice. I thought that was astonishing, and maybe, since we didn't discuss it in the last two weeks, I don't know if you missed that. Putting a stumbling block before the blind man is obviously a Torah command, right? We want to, we want to avoid that. But in this case, Ramkal is saying, well, the blind guy is the guy who doesn't know about the Torah, the guy who doesn't know the Scriptures. So if we were to give him wrong advice, what are we really doing? Even if we, we think we know, if we're not sure, we're giving him advice and actually causing the, the blind or unknowing man to stumble. So That's in the Talmud. There's this passage in the Talmud about not... Um basically not teaching about something you don't know very well. Yeah. And um, about how you teach one person that he has his own people that he teaches, like his family, and his family teaches their family and stuff like that, all based on your yeah. thing. And so the dictum they use uh, is if, you, if you're going to hang yourself, uh, choose a big tree. Wow. Which is um, if you're going to give somebody okay. any advice... Make sure who you got it from is, you know, a big tree. Yeah. Because if not, you know, that's going to be a big problem. Yeah. The Zohar talks pretty, pretty vehemently about people who teach something, but they're not, but they don't really know. And there's a special place in hell for that. There you go. Special place in hell. Anybody looking for that special place in hell? We've got the directions now. So causing a blind person to stumble by giving wrong advice is a very bad deal. Um, hurtful speech, I just want to think. Or hurtful, yes. Did he say herb, what? Hurt, hurtful? Hurtful. Hurtful. Hurtful speech. He's from Florida. Hamstring? Hamstring. Hamstring. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Palmetto, go ahead. Okay. Um, so it's it's said in the back half of the, this section about you can actually do this. You could approach, you know, embarrassing, humiliating somebody when you're actually performing a mitzvah, like you're rebuking somebody. Yeah. Um, and it actually says um, in uh, Leviticus, you shall prove your fellow and do not bear a sin because of him. Right. He's saying it says that because you must be careful when you rebuke him that you also don't humiliate him or exactly. else you're now sinning even though you're performing. Yeah, and I, again, from the heart here, guys, I really have struggled with that particular command and the way he put it, because, you know, I'm an, I'm, I'm an older guy than you guys, you know, so, um, wow, this sounds really bad. Maybe I should not continue. You should. Why are you giving him that advice? Hang yourself on a big tree. <laughs> Did Rashi say so, that? So I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, like, I, I don't. I don't want to be the policeman, but I think. Well, I just take. I'll just take Isaac as an example, right? So, um, because I love Isaac, and I know Isaac loves me. So, Isaac expects that if I see him do wrong, I will tell him. I mean, that's a fact. Now I can say the same thing about Gregory, and I can say, say the same thing about Joshua, and I'm pretty sure I can say the same thing about Peter. So, I mean, that's the expectation we have. Joshua knows I love him, and I want the best for him. And he knows even if it'll hurt his feelings, I will tell him what I think. Now Joshua and Gregory and Isaac are men enough to stand up to me and say, I get it, I hear you, thanks for sharing, I'm not going to do it. 
I'm okay with that. They're my sons-in-law, and that's our relationship. But they trust me enough to always tell them. And when I read this, I was concerned that maybe I was stepping over the line. Right? That I was potentially sinning by sharing, especially if it's somebody like you. Because I love you to death, and you know that. But you're not my son-in-law. I don't know why that is, by the way. No, no, no. Um, so, so how do, how do how do you and I deal with that? I mean, how do I how do I correct you without humiliating you, without making you feel bad, without? Well, you know I don't I mean? think they're the same thing. I don't think feeling bad and humiliation are the same thing. Help me then. Mm-hmm. Help help me so that I can help you because I've I've noticed a long list that I need to go through. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> God bless you. Good. Tell me. Uh, it's like humiliation to me is like you know you. I'm doing something bad. You tell me to my face in yeah. front of all these men. You know maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad, bad thing, but that's potentially humiliating. Now if you tell me I'm doing something bad and it's just you and me, or if it's yeah. just me and I don't know my father. Yeah, yeah. You know that's that's really not humiliating for me. Okay, I get that. Yeah, and my father always told me that praise should be in public, and correction should always be in private. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, I guess that's good counsel, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. Um, Were you just stretching, or I, I did was, you want to vote? No, I, I, I was actually going to say tie out to that, and also the um, this quote mentions he quotes um, the reference here. Uh, it's from um, Arahin sixteen b. Yeah. Uh, to say that I would think that this applies even to the extent of causing his face to change color. Right. So um, he blushes. He blushes. Yeah. So I think that like. He's embarrassed. Um, yeah, and I think that there is a... Well, that's why I was thinking about you guys. Well, I hope I don't blush too much in front of you, but um, <laughs> the, the point, though, is that, like... I, think I blush in front of my father-in-law when he rebukes me. But it depends on what we're talking about, and also I think that the way that things are delivered has a lot to say of the two. Um, obviously, um, as you mentioned, in front of other people is, yeah. the, is the worst scenario. Yeah. I think that's the yeah. most likely to embarrass... But you can also really, you can humiliate someone with, like, the delivery, the intensity. Certainly, if you were to insult them or any, use any kind of derogatory language, sure, sure. you know, all of those things um, can do that. So yeah. that's, that's, I think, most of what we're talking about being careful with, because Yeshua laid some people out. But he did uh, and, it in a and pretty in a, strongly at times. But he, but he, but if you'll notice that, with the exception of his very public rebuke of the Pharisees, which is an unusual situation, almost all of his rebukes came either on one-on-ones or very small groups, and only of people that were really tight-knit that he had a relationship yeah, with. Agreed. And quite frankly, I would argue that uh, even perhaps his uh, rebuke of the Pharisees may have been only he and the Pharisees. Sure. In which case, you know, it's the whole team. You know, and you just you know. The Sadducees, though, they got walloped in public, rightly so. But yeah, I think that was rightly <laughs> well, so. And, you know, and for those kind of people, <laughs> that's legitimate, but right? That was the brilliance of that of that rebuke because he. Oh, it's um, there he is! Oh, Woo! Oh, oh man! Sorry, I'm late, guys. I get off work. Look at that! Seven, so we got a seat in the middle, yeah, and you can yeah. pull up a chair right in that corner, brother. Oh, oh, man. Man. I squished myself in between these righteous gentlemen. How about that? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? How about that? Oh, I'm not. 
Yeah, <laughs> you know what that means. What's going on, guys? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The righteousness quota just yeah. rose. Oh, man. How about funny. that? How about that? So what we are doing is uh, walking through chapter 11, 1, 2, 3, man. 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You just, you're the minion man, brother. You are the minion man. Come together. Uh, the back end, the last, the bottom of page 203. 203. Nehemiah, we're on the bottom of page 203. Bottom of 203. About to hit 204. All right. I think Pete had a comment. Yes, sir. Just remember that Yeshua's corrections were before Rabbi Akiva. And um, we believe that no one since Rabbi Akiva is at the level high enough to uh, correct another person. Or we believe that. We believe. That's good. I remember that. Rabbi Nachman? Is that Nachman? No, um, that's, that's Rashi, at least. Uh, yeah. But then Rabbi Nachman said Repeated, it is yeah. Certainly not then, and then certainly not today. Would that's be there anybody that's close it. enough to... Yeah, well, you know. Level. And yeah. certainly with Yeshua, obviously, he is elite. On yeah. That. He's one of the elite. Yeah. All so right, they, so... there's other ways of bringing about a change. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I hope that we're not saying that um, where we've got someone who is trying to walk the walk and has said, I'm trying to walk the walk. If you see me stumbling, help me, show me, show me the way, teach me, etc. I, I don't think we're talking about that. We're talking about um, a, a, a serious rebuke, right, of a halakhic nature. I think if someone's asking for teaching, you can teach them. But if it's something that needs to be corrected... And it ought to be thought about first. Okay. I was just going to say that we're talking about speaking amongst men, but we should make it like ten times more careful when we're speaking to women. I don't think we should be correcting women. With that, well, that's basically where I'm going with it. It's basically, then don't basically go to say it. It's, it's like there are a number of different teachings on this topic, how if you see something wrong with, you know, your, your wife or something like that, that it basically is a reflection of something that you need to change within yourself. And, but women, they take words of rebuke, words of correction in a much different way than we do. Yeah, but I want to make it clear that I don't think that you as a single man should rebuke any woman ever, anywhere, at any time. It's uh, just not your place. So, there we go. You, you got one gallon you need to rebuke right now. That's it. But, but that's, that's, not, that's technically like, what about when it says, and Rabbi Roosh states, I should never criticize yeah, that, Well, that's what Johnny just went through. Like, even my own wife. That's what Johnny just went through. That if there's an issue in her life, it's a reflection of a failing in your life. That's not what I'm talking about. All I'm saying is, there's only one woman for which you are responsible. And one for you. And one for you, and one for you, and three. one for you, and one for three. you, and three for you. In fact, he's actually got two he can definitely rebuke. That's right. And <laughs> one for you, and one for you. I just get mad at the mirror. And <laughs> there was, that's right, right? So you one for you, and I've got like four, and now well, you know, I defer, I defer on the other three. Right. So, anyway, good, good point. I think the next topic is... Or the, what evil speech after that, or the yeah. dust of Lashon? He is, 
He says, uh, humiliating one's fellow, causing a blind or uninformed person to stumble by giving wrong advice, gossip mongering. Mm. And I tell you what, as soon as I hit that line, and he went through that a little bit, I cannot tell you how my ears have perked up when I have been in the presence of other people talking about other people. Mm. I am really sensitive to it now. And makes you want to flee. That's what I've been doing is walking out of the room unless yeah. I notice that they happen to be related to me. In which case, I'm like back to, wait a second, <laughs> we're not supposed to do that. Topic. Right, yeah. <laughs> After that is hatred and taking revenge. No? I had a comment. Oh, yeah, big this morning, I was... He's at, sick. We're trying to be no. gentle. This morning, yeah. there you go. I, was, um, we were, I was driving to play basketball at this big mega church in Charlotte, and Michaela was with me because she does stuff um, there. And I, I set her up for an assist of evil speech, and I was like, wow, this church is really big, isn't it? And then immediately, I shouldn't say anything, and but right as I finished my sentence, I was like, and they're so gracious, like, let us use this. Because what I was, my heart was, I was like, yeah, I'm trying to give you a chance to bash this place. But Ruka Shem, it didn't happen. That's good. That's good. So you yeah. caught yourself in mid-sin. I like that. After, after sentence. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Huh. Yeah, they, um, just reading through, like, because this week's, the other Musar book we're doing is talking about silence. Yes. And a significant portion of it was dedicated to Lashon Hara. And not speaking sometimes right. when you Keep want to. Keep your mouth shut. And yeah. it's just, it's really kind of mind-blowing when you start to think. One example that they gave that was not in this book that I thought was really good was gossip was defined as telling someone what someone else had said about them. Mm. So, you know, I mean, hypothetically, person A says something bad about person B. And then uh, behind their person B's back. Well, person C is the one who hears it from A. And they go to B and say, do you hear what A said about you? That is Lashon Hara right. because you are making, you're, you're basically harming the relationship you're, of two you're people. You're pitting one against the other. Even though person A kind of deserved it. They actually said that about person B. But at the same time, it's like, that's not your place exactly to, right. to share that. So exactly. it's like, wow. You start thinking about it that way. Because he talks about the dust. He says everyone sins. Sins. Oh, we all Lashon walk Hara. in the dust of Lashon Hara. Quite frankly... If that went away, the world would be a better place. Mm. Oh, yeah. Forget whether or not the yeah. Gentiles keep the Sabbath. Because mm. well, the, the uh, says that. Oh, go ahead. Uh, in uh, Proverbs, he says, uh, he says, if you uh, if you take out the tail bear, right, then the fire goes out. That's right. Yeah. 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 We're all done with that stuff. Yeah, the prophet Chaim says that Lashon Hara damages three people. Yeah. It's the person who hears the evil speech, mm. the person who speaks, who does the actual speaking. And the, and the person, person who about whom it is spoken. Yeah. And uh, Rabbi, um, oh man, I just lost his name completely, which is really embarrassing because he's really famous. You're not allowed to um, quote unless you quote who you're the, quoting. Uh, the guy who does uh, Thou Shalt Prosper. Lappin. 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 Rabbi, Rabbi Daniel, Daniel Lappin. Um, he had a really interesting drosh one time about Lashon Hara and dealing with um, the story of David and Mephibosheth because um, David's driven out. Ali has to flee because of Absalom. And Mephibosheth's uh, servant comes and when David is restored to the kingdom and says, hey, so my master was, you know, working with the bad guys there, just wanted you to know. And David's like, okay, fine, I'll give all of his stuff to you. So the servant gets, gets everything. Then Mephibosheth gets all upset and he comes to David later and David and says, I didn't do any of that. And David's like, and, and it says, it's very interesting because it says that even though David knew 
that it was out of his character was telling the truth that he didn't do that yeah. he gave he split the property between the servant and Mephibosheth because the the Lashon Hara had tainted his view of Mephibosheth and he couldn't shake it even though he knew it wasn't true it still affected his view of him and I have experienced that firsthand he's coming something bad about somebody and the saddest part is usually what I usually what I end up finding out is that that is an exaggeration or not even true. Yeah. And then as I get to know the person better, it's like sometimes I'm delayed in building a relationship with a really cool person, or sometimes I never get to develop a, a really healthy relationship with that because person. Because they've been poisoned. Because of the poison, yeah. Poisoning the well. Wow. All right. So the gossip migraine. This is, we've already talked about this, guys. This is simply a review, but it's great that we're talking about it. gossip migraine, hatred and taking revenge, which was pretty scary, vain oaths. Falsehood and Kalul Hashem. What is Kalul Hashem? Desecrating of the name. It's desecrating of the name. So you had an interesting desecration of the name the other day. You. Uh, I hope he has an example. Of how did you time. do that? You. I was shocking to me. I was. It was wonderful. He. Uh, he blessed God for food that he didn't have. And then he repented, because he had blessed God erroneously. And he did the right blessing, or something like that. Isn't that what you did? Was it something like that? Yeah, it was really it. cool, and I'm thinking to myself, it's my son. You say after you say the wrong blessing, because you've just taken the Lord's name. How cool is that? No one listening and watching online heard a word he said, but um, we're all I'm just blessed. getting over a cold. In fact, even in, um, <laughs> if you're wrapping to feeling every day, and you do the blessings for that, they have a blessing for when you put the armband on and the one when you put the headband on. Yeah. But there's dispute amongst the, amongst the sages whether or not you should say the blessing after putting on the headband or just do it when you do the armband. Is it one thing or is it right, two? Right. So they do two blessings just in case, but then as a double just in case, they do the compensatory blessing, um, blessed is the name of this glorious it's kingdom forever. As, uh, after doing the second blessing, just in case, just in case it was you weren't wrong. supposed to do it. <laughs> so if it was an errant blessing, they're covering themselves anyway. So being really careful with taking care like of God's it. name. I like it. But but that's taking care of God's name. But Hashem is acting in such a way right. that makes Hashem look bad. Yeah. Mm. Right, which is a big deal if you wear tzitzit or a kippah. Yep. Exactly. There was a, there was a, I think it was a Christian sermon but the word take, like do not take, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain, is like a, a verb. Like you shall not walk out. Yeah, carry. Yeah. yeah. All people stumble in the dust of Lashon Hurrah. Anything that can result in damage or degradation to one's fellow, that is letting the evil inclination get you. Um, okay. I thought it interesting. I'm on page... Uh, don't tell me. Don't tell me I'm on page 216. 216. Rav Elazar said, saying no is considered an oath. And saying yes is considered an oath. Rava said, this is true only if he said no, no, twice in immediate succession. And similarly, if he said yes, yes, twice in immediate succession. What does this remind you of? That's it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I don't know if you have word Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, yeah. Correct. That's right. I like what Greg Upham sometimes does is that he'll 
you know, someone he says, you know, he agrees to pray for someone, basically. And what he'll do is he'll say, you know, a netter, which is basically I'm not giving you an oath, basically saying if, you know, it, it's kind of like a a cool way of getting around, like with the whole. Um, Good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. You know, if nothing untoward happens, or nothing I, you know, I, I don't forget, or you know, something just throws me completely off kilter to where I, where I told you I would do something and I don't, that's kind of your, um, it's like a security blanket. Yeah. Hmm. Your yes must be honest, and your no must be honest. Hmm. Then he moves into falsehood. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yes. Um, I see that hand. That horse riding man over there. <laughs> I uh, found this particularly important, um, you know, with my newly married life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times you get into, when you get in arguments, you get into the, the blame game. Like, well, you said this, you said that, you said you did this, you said that. And it's very important, I think, as the man, when you say something, is you think about it before you say it, because she remembers it all. Yeah. All of it. You recording. know what? As you get older, you realize it doesn't matter whether she remembers it. He heard it, and he never forgets. Right. Mm-hmm. There's that. But, you know, it's just... It being, but also, if she remembers everything. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's there to remind you. <laughs> is one of those men in black things? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Look into the light. <laughs> I got Put a price shit. on it. I got, I got but but also, also, also your conscience, you know, um, realizing her her emotional state yes. after you said what you said. That's right. You know, because you just as, banged as, on as the weaker become, vessel. You know, as you become more in tune with her and more one with her, um, hurting her is like is like hurting you. That's exactly you know? right. And it hurts, man. It hurts. Yep. You realize it, and you. It takes a man. It takes a lot to swallow your pride and go back and. Well, we all remember, <laughs> man. In marriage, it's your fault. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Great question. Oh, I was just going to yes, comment. Even yes. with even with the kids, you know, like they can't even. They, they probably don't remember anything. But since we've gone through watchfulness and everything, I've been trying to be extra careful with what I say mm-hmm. and there was even I, and I've heard that you know if you if you ever lie to somebody the way to f- make sure you never do again is go and tell them that you lied to them so I had uh, I had told the girls just because I say this every night I'm always just like I'll see you in the morning but I totally forgot my calendar the next day was like a board meeting that I had and I was supposed to leave like 30 minutes before they got up and I, I stuck around and like made sure to see them the next morning. I told Morgan, like, let's get them up 15 minutes early. So at least I'm Good not. For you. Good and for I you. have never erroneously spoken, I'll see you in the morning yeah. since then. Good for you. Good yeah. for you. That's great. Yeah, there was uh, a, a really funny um, Jerry Seinfeld routine on being where you said you are with regards to your wife. He's like, women love to see men be where they said they're going to be. Sometimes I say, I'm going to the garage. I just walk in the garage. I just stand there. Wait till she opens the door. Big smile. And the, the point is Which very is true. Which is a sad because, commentary on today's men. But it's, but it's a very important commentary on the importance of doing what you said. Because I have run into that where it's like, oh, I think it's taking me about 30 minutes to finish this up. And then we'll, you know, 45 minutes later, babe, I thought, you know, 
And so that's where I have to start, like, intentionally giving, like, overestimates on time and then sticking to what I say. <laughs> Sometimes thinking what you say is not pleasant. Exactly right. And we should always have our phones telling our wives where we are anyway. Hope you take that up. I think it's important to, like, I, if you can't fully commit to when you'll be home. You need to say so. Yes. Exactly. I say it, like, every day when I leave for work. So you're going to be home by 5.30? I can't commit to that. And I always have a smile on my face. because It's a running joke with yeah. I now. But I think it's important because at times of absolutely, babe, I'm going to leave at 5 o'clock. That's the day that everything blows up at 4.59. Sure. And exactly. I can't leave. That's my plan right now. If it changes, then I'll let you know. It, yes. That's good. That's well, hard. I don't even do that because That's I don't really always have the opportunity. I have to, to let her know. Well, I don't have the opportunity at all times. Make the opportunity. I don't have the opportunity at all times. So, you do leave with, you can't set an expectation. You can't That's right. I, I have no idea when I'll be back. Yeah. But I'll text you when I'm leaving. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's, there's also, though, a stigma in society where, um, where it's almost unmanly to let your woman know where you are all the time. Yeah. That's why I suggest you know? that you yeah, turn yeah. your phone on yeah. and let her know where you yeah. are so that she knows she can check where you are at any time. Yeah. I believe that anything that the world thinks about men, yeah. we should do exactly the opposite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's what, really well, I was, I was, I was talking to a, and I don't mean to lift myself up. I just want to uh, use this as an example for you. I was with a client uh, at the end of last week, and uh, two young ladies and an older woman, and one of the young ladies is the daughter of the older woman. The older woman, obviously, is my client. Uh, uh, the woman paying the bills. And uh, I was done with the visit. And I'm just telling about my family and, you know, so forth. So um, I made the comment that I love to go home. Mm. Many men at the end of work don't necessarily want to go home. I said, I've been married 31 years and I can't wait to go home. I love to be home I've got a beautiful blonde waiting for me when I get home. And she said, that's not just neat. It's neat that you say it out loud. And I thought, hmm, I bet it's going to be even neater when I tell my wife what you said. <laughs> and I left. So be encouraged, men. We are not in lockstep with the culture. Yes, and we should not be. And wherever we're not be is normally good. Yes, Rav Yochanan said, if someone like me would go for a moat without studying Torah or without wearing tefillin, yada, 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 the idea behind this Gemara is that every person, according to his spiritual level, and according to how highly he's regarded in the eyes of his contemporaries, must see to it that he does not do anything inappropriate for a man of his stature. I love this because it made clear that we have a responsibility to other men, to the community, depending on where we are in our walk. And that is so important. Ever since I came here two years ago, my life has gotten a lot harder. Because where I was before, I didn't have, like, there were no men. Right. Well, okay, there were some men. But there, 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 was, there was not There this. was no money. Well, there was some. <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't this. Yeah. 
And it wasn't like I was trying to be, you know, sinful or, you know, right, not keep right. commandments or anything. I just, it was hard, to, it's hard to do it when you're alone. Sure. And, and exactly what, what that guy said, um, it, it is much easier and harder because you find yourself holding yourself to the expectation of everybody around you. Absolutely. And you weren't doing that when you're by yourself. That's exactly right. And trying to keep the Torah without community mm-hmm. is difficult. Really he knows. Is. It is. So when I, when I show up here for a community Shabbat and I see you up at the front preparing and making sure and knowing who's going to do each reading and I see this man finding the women that are going to do the readings ahead and preparing himself, to me, it, it, it elevates me to, to desire to be that righteous man who's got the job and is filling the role. Mm. And everything we do is that way. It's as simple as that. There's really a good blog post on that. I forgot who wrote it, but it was called like uh, Positive Good Peer Pressure. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was like it's like a blog called like yeah. of the Times or something. Right? But you know, quite frankly, oh, iron right there. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that blog. You know, really, the bottom line is iron sharpens iron. So we sharpen one another. It's as simple as that, you know. What you know? Why am I wearing a tie today? This is the last week Colby did. Yeah. <laughs> Slapping Colby. <laughs> what is difficult for the masses to observe among the laws of Shabbos and Yom Tov is refraining from occupying themselves with business matters <laughs> and from discussing their business dealings. This is crazy hard. It was, and I got to tell you, uh, you know, I feel like this is just confession time for Joe, but um, I have always been of the opinion, until I read this last week, that Shabbat is extraordinarily important, and I'm all about Shabbat, as you know. Open my home, the whole deal. But I've never had a problem with someone they come up to me and say, yeah, I, I know you don't want to talk about work, but dot, dot, dot. And I always used to say, there's no problem. That's not, a, that's not an issue. We're not going to work. What's, up, what's the issue? And, you know, they want a question or whatever it may be. And when I read this this week, it changed. It changed my perspective. And I'm going to change my response. Now it will be something along the lines of, well, you know, I, I hate that you want to do that too. So <laughs> let's not. Let's have a glass of wine. And then at Abdallah, I'll look for your call. It's a great opportunity. I got you after you. I was just going to say, I've, I've, heard, I've heard it spoken of in any number of the you know, two or three congregations that I've attended on a Shabbat. And I hear it at times. And... I just simply walk away from this conversation. Does it work? So, along those same lines with discussing business matters, I know another piece to that is discussing things that you will do after Shabbat or Mm -hmm. things that are later. And that one is so tricky, and I wanted to just get your thoughts on that. So, a perfect example of this is a particular Shabbat, probably last Shabbat, you know. Like, it hit me when we were talking about just the the wedding coming up, you know. And it's kind of like, no, that, that was that in this uh, thing talked about that? Yeah, I think it was yeah. right after the business dealings when I talked about the events that were coming going up. to do. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I think I think his focus was at the end of that Shabbat, like that night. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh. Motzi Shabbat, what are you going to do? Because it's like you're trying to hasten the Shabbat to get it to finish. Uh, what you're going to be talking, okay. you know, doing the following week or something like that didn't seem to be a problem. Okay. But, again, I think, you know, the watchword needs to be, what is this day for? Okay. This day has been given to us. Let's not waste it. Turn your foot from your own way. Amen. I thought it was interesting in that context, on that particular section where he said, don't, don't say, oh, well, tonight or tomorrow, right. we're going to go do such and such. Right. And it's yeah. like, that's James yeah. on a slightly different twist. Because exactly James right. is dealing with the same thing. And he specifically tells people, don't say, tomorrow we're going to go into the city and do such and such because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so his angle is more on the Lord willing angle, which is going back to like being honest and trustworthy. Sure. Um, however, the speech same element was saying. related there to, to Shabbos. Yeah, that one, that one's a tough one because it's like you... Sometimes you feel like you feel the need to discuss, like, what are we having for dinner tonight? Or, you know, what, what are we planning to do this evening? Or, like, I mean, there was one time I, uh, we packed everything up and left as soon as Shabbat hit. And I, and I did it as a surprise. So I gave my wife a heads up that afternoon. Hey, by the way, after Hadal tonight, we're going to head out. So I guess I'm not supposed to do that. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a problem. I, I think, you know, it's the spirit of the thing of... Like, intention. Yeah, I mean, what what are we, what are we doing? Well, I want to sit down here in a 15-minute 15, 15 conversation about where we're going as soon as we get the opportunity to get away from this darn Shabbat. Yeah. We've only got 17 minutes left, and then we can have Abdallah, and then we can go, and we'll watch the movie. And, and Do you have the tickets, or do we have to buy? Yeah. I think we just stepped over the line. Yeah. Mm. You want to bless your wife, you know, and, and, and you know, get her excited about an opportunity. I, I don't think that's where he's at, so I would, I would be careful where you draw the line, but... <clears throat> As long as we're careful about it, I think that's the key. Yeah, I think part, a large part of that also has to do with me being a single guy. I have to take care of a lot of things, you know, as early in the week as possible as I can. So I'm already, especially on the weekends that I have Gabby with me. So I've already got figured out. Okay, where are we going for dinner? What's going on the next day? What's going on right after Havdalah? And so that so that it's. In essence, it's actually all part of the preparation. True. So just so you're on the same sheet of music with me, I'm a married guy. Ditto what you just said. No difference. Cool. You're exactly right. It's the preparation. We need to be preparing this stuff before the Sabbath begins. When we light those candles, talking about what we're going to be doing after the Sabbath is not supposed to be on that list. It lets you really... You know, literally forget everything else that this is time with God. Because if you've done the prep, it's already prepared. There you go. Exactly right. Just as one requires nekiyut in his actions, so does one require nekiyut in his character traits or in the midot. We talked about that. Um, he's only discussing the negative character traits in a more na- lengthy analysis because. We're accustomed to behave with those traits. Haughtiness, anger, envy, and desire. And this is new stuff now that we have not discussed before. Haughtiness, anger, envy, and desire. Haughtiness. Any comments on the haughty? This is a tough one. Because I tell you what, one of my first thoughts was um, being made happy by someone else's compliment of you. Ideally, you should be so detached 
from needing other people to praise you that it shouldn't matter if they insult you or if they praise you. That's right. Because I think that it's I can... even balance there. Well, not even even balance. You're just always... That's my point. So whether they put you down or lift you up, shouldn't it's matter. It's an even yeah. deal. Yeah. So they, um, for me, I think like in the past, I think I can, I can embrace the idea that like I shouldn't let an insult bother me. And even then, I don't think that I'm anywhere close to that point. But even still, like to try to like, that's where I'm working on, you know? Yeah. But yeah. then to think like, I'm not supposed to let praise affect me that's really i don't even i don't I mean, even know a, how to start on that it's one. a step up right i mean well, it's a step of where we are it's like yeah, i think it's i think about that a lot now because it's in everything i'm reading right now is all about this equanimity where you where it doesn't affect you to be phrased or two, to be two weeks uh, ago. Mm-hmm. or to be insulted and i think it's got to be some kind of um inner inner security and, Basically, and, and, the, and an outsidedness of being outside this world, as it were. Right, a kind of a Hashem yeah. standpoint. Because, and the way I, I just I thought about it with this other guy I was talking about, what talking to was, um, is that when you're in the in the very first part of a relationship with a woman, that when you and you're all in love and everything, that you don't care what everyone else says. Like it, nothing can really bring you down kind of thing you know you're just kind of like riding the wave and everything's just like whatever I've got, I've got this girl and I think it's kind of the same thing because it doesn't matter what any of these other humans say it's just me and Hashem and that's why mm. the Talmud says every morning you have to tell yourself that you're the only person in the world um, it's just you and Hashem, and it's, that's all that matters. And so, kind of, kind of that someone is praising you could be just as big a test of your emunah as someone insulting you, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're not one is not better than the other. Right. They're both. Well, like, one is not may, worse than the other. Right. It may be that the the praising you is a bigger test. Yeah. Wow. From a haughtiness perspective. Right. You yeah. Might just be taking it all inward. And, and using these people as your as your validation for life, wow. whereas the people don't matter at all. Praise God, that I mean, was great. Or, or it could be that like God is using other people to strengthen and encourage you, because sometimes it's a, an encouraging word of praise that is what lifts someone's spirits. So it's not that you would ignore people's praise. Because you just need to be you, careful. Because you're stepping on other issues. Yeah, there. you just need to be careful that that the haughtiness doesn't step in. Right. I think I think that was my question I had is a little bit confusing to me because it seemed to be that you should not people should praise you and it shouldn't affect you, right? It should bounce right off just like an insult should bounce right off. If that's the case, then where is the place for um, well, encouragement or praise well, of well, somebody? Because I think if if I may just real quick that if someone derides you. Rabbi Akiva said, if I recall correctly, that in every rebuke is a grain of truth. So we need to look at the rebuke and examine ourselves. And the same thing with the with the praise. Mm. Okay, I just got praised. Praise God. That's that's cool. Yeah. Because all I'm trying to do is reflect him to others. But is there a grain of haughtiness in me that needs to be looked at here and I just need to keep everything in check it needs to stay in balance I think think encouragement is a red herring in this it doesn't really apply to to what we're talking about because 
we're talking about people telling you that you are um, you're better than the others or just or that you're better than you think you are or that you're better in their eyes it's a, a compliment basically it may be encouraging but it may not be encouragement right exactly man I can never study to her the way you do yeah, yeah that or you're awesome anything yeah. that's that from someone that's is awesome. is kind of like saying that um, that I I like I like this part of you and for and for us to react in a way that is um, any reaction to that is probably going to be a bad one. It's probably going to be like, oh, I like that that person likes this part of me. Unless we turn it back around and say, it's, if it's there's any good honor. that you've seen in me, it's only because Hashem has changed exactly. me from the honor from doesn't belong to us. That's right. Yeah. That's a good point. I noticed wow. this past week when reading for the portion. But, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, just that. Um, Jacob does that over and over and over again. Because I have to admit, I, I am a little like, I get antsy when, I'm, when I've got a totally secular person in the workplace who's like, way to go, that was great for me to drop Baruch Hashem. A, they don't speak Hebrew. And B, it's going to sound really weird. Um, but I had to say, I was really inspired by Jacob to maybe rethink that because like, he's talking to Esau, who's total pagan. Yeah. Like Esau is like the embodiment of evil. And Jacob's like, well, it's all due to God. That's due to God, too. That's also due to God. Thanks be to God. You know, see, like, God, 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 yeah, God. I mean, he, he, does, he says this, he, he prays, he compliments God for something yeah. that, that Esau compliments him about. Like, two or three times, this one conversation, it's like, huh, I have to yeah, think of that. be a good answer, yeah. So there's just two small points. One was last week when we were talking about the, uh, the building up of one's, you know, esteem and yeah. just telling people excessive compliments and things like that there's places where it's due but again to remi- remember the things that over a person which has no control that those are the things to which God is owed the glory that's right and that you were saying about the the rebuke um, that there might be that there's truth in those you know then but if it's like an actual character assassination or like some people of that I just always you know if, if I broke a shell. I'm not assassinated in my character very often, but I've, I've I've created responses and places, you know, sort of places that I can go in the event that something like that happens. And I just remind myself that, you know, I I'm a son of the Most High God, and I am, you know, and I start talking about my faith to myself and remind myself of these things, sure. of all these abundant blessings. Yeah, and, yeah. and at the same time, it can't hurt to do that self-examination <clears throat> during your cheshbon during your nefesh at the end Absolutely. of the day to say, you know, what, what uh, would prompt that? So just ask a question. Like, so I'm thinking about something practical to determine the difference in my head between praise that you would let bounce off of you and encouragement that you'd kind of see as like God sent. You, you do know? it to me all the time. Well, you do it so, to me all the time. The you are a professional encourager. <laughs> you are an exhorter par excellence. That is very gracious of you. See that? I Bingo. <laughs> I just praised you for a character trait, but I implied that you have done it to me. To me, that's true exhortation. But when I just lift you up and say, well, Greg, you're just the bee's knees. It doesn't matter what it the context of what's said or who's saying it. Oh, I think it does. 
I think because that we're talking about not letting things affect you. It doesn't but, change you that dad thinks you're a great exhorter. But it, but it, but it just made me smile. Though. But there's a difference. But I, I, See, that's not. I don't agree with you. you I think there is a you difference just, if you're being exhorted, which is a command for us to do to others. Yes. We are to exhort one another. We are to build one another. So, how do you exhort someone? You exhort them with words. So we're talking about haughtiness, which means that your reaction, if they're trying to exhort you, you should be exhorted. If they're simply trying to praise you for something that's not you in the first place, it's Hashem, then we need to watch for the haughtiness. I think, there, as you're pointing out, there should be a difference. I think one other possible angle to this, and I don't, I don't really know what the ultimate answer is, but in, um, in the humility section of the Musar book that we read, he talked about the idea of filling one's place and having a really good understanding of who you are. Amen. Because he describes it like a like a bench, mm. and you've got a spot on a bench, and you have a seat that you, you can have. Take up your space that you that is yours, but um, that doesn't mean you have to sit on the edge of the bench. It doesn't mean that you should sprawl out and take up as much space as you can. And an example he gave is there was one rabbi who was you know they asked him in a court case or something like that. You know they called him as an expert or something. And he says, um, the judge is like, I understand that you are the wisest man in all of England, or something like that. And the rabbi's like, yes, I am. <laughs> the judge kind of pauses and says, excuse me, aren't you also supposed to be really humble? And he's like, I can't deny the truth. <laughs> and it sounds kind of funny, but the point is like, and that, I think that is probably, and I don't want to get into it too much now because we're, we're kind of running behind now, but that would be something that I need to work on the most is having a really good understanding of of where I stand to me. Because the reason why I struggle the most with, with taking people's compliments too well or taking their critiques too seriously is because to me that becomes um, the definition of if I'm doing well or not. Right. I see that critique and I say, I must have done it wrong. Even if I didn't think it was wrong before, now I think it's wrong. Or even if it wasn't really wrong. Or even, or Which even is different wrong. from whether or not you thought it was wrong. Right, yeah, right. either way. Um, even if, yeah, regardless, and then if it's a if it's a compliment, or if I ask someone's advice and they say no, you're doing it fine, then I feel much more inclined to, to think that I'm doing okay, yeah. you know, and so yeah. on. So that's right. that's so we will, we're going to have to revisit this uh, on a later class. Final comment on this point. All right. Um, when Yeshua is, you know, on the stake, and you've got the two criminals on either side, and you know, the one says, this man is innocent. He doesn't deserve to be here, you know, and and confesses that he and the other guy are sinners. And the other guy just, you know, pretty much condemns both of insults. And Yeshua turns and uplifts the first guy mm-hmm. and says, you know, I, I can't remember the quote right off my head. And I, it, Truly you, you would know, be yeah, with in paradise. Yeah, so, you know, and this, brought this it probably brought this guy to tears to hear those words, you know. To be encouraged in that way, not that you know, getting crucified wouldn't have him in tears already. But yeah, but, but yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, with, yeah, I'm with but it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. You know, so, like, I think, I think there is encouragement when someone is uh, grieving, when someone um, is hurt. Yeah. You know, but then you know the haughtiness comes when you're being, you know, praised for something that's kind of not you. Yeah, not you. It's good, but also superficial. Yeah. You know? I like it. I, I think that uh, you know we can at least walk away tonight, uh, even if we'll talk about this again. Um, 
with the admonition that every haughty heart is an abomination to Hashem. Yes, sir. And that we need to ensure that that's not what we have. So, if you're getting exhorted and you recognize that perhaps some of the work you're doing is producing some fruit that some other men that you trust and revere are seeing, praise God. It should not lead us to haughtiness. If it does, well, you blew it. Haughtiness is nothing but sheer blindness to reality in which a person's intellect does not perceive his deficiencies or recognize his inadequacy. So if someone exhorts you for a godly trait that you have just practiced, that does not fall into this category. But if you are blind to the reality that you are unable to perform as we should, then uh, we need to step up. The essence of a person can be discerned through three things. I like this. This one's worth writing down in calligraphy and, and framing. The essence of a person can be discerned through three things. Through his cup of wine, through his wallet, or he puts purse, and through his anger level. Of course, I read this right after getting amazingly angry with Mary and everybody else in the room and on the planet because of something that went wrong at work. But I took solace in the fact that I was not haughty. and No, I'm, <laughs> I, I had to repent. And uh, it is interesting. He, uh, how a man acts when he's had too much to drink. How a man uses or hoards his money. And how a man gets angry. Whether he's easy to anger. We talked about this earlier. Easy to anger but easy to appease. Hard to anger, but hard to appease. Hard to anger, but easy to appease, and so forth. Uh, with these three things, we seem to be able to discern the essence of a man. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yes? Yeah? Okay. Good, good, good. And then uh, we close up with... Ramkal maintains that it does not require as much effort as would seem at first glance. And the mental commitment in this matter of nekiyut or cleanliness is more difficult than carrying it out. That was very encouraging to me because I was getting a little beat up by the time we got to that. So, the mental awareness? Remembering to focus on these things and, and to work on it is, is the key. It's not the doing. The doing really is easy. You just got to remember to do it. We kind of think of watching movies. If you watch movies consistently where there's lots of profanity, you become numb to it. No longer are you um, aware of what's going on around you. I think that's what this is Amen. about, is being aware of the things we should be doing. Desensitization. Yeah. His follow-up in the uh, following chapter, chapter 12, and you guys who haven't finished 11 and 12 can probably just skip on to 13 if you're um, hurting for time, but we'll close up by saying, at this point, there no longer remains before a man any hindrances to acquiring cleanliness except, hear it, except for gaining knowledge of the details of the commandments. We have to know right and wrong. And you can't do what's right if you don't know what is right. 
An ignorant person, I'm quoting the end of chapter 12, an ignorant person cannot be a pious person. The reason is obvious for one who does not know, cannot perform. That's convicting. Taylor? You breathed. I thought you wanted to say something. Nothing to say. Were you breathing? I heard you <laughs> I breathe. Actually breathe. There was breath on both sides. Yeah, we're good. No. Um, yes. I just had a thought when you said when what you said about um, someone who's ignorant can't be pious. And yes. I just I don't know if this is right or not, but Solomon talks a lot about fools and how fools can't do this, can't do that. It made me think maybe that's why he talks so much about fools because yeah. if you are a fool, you can't learn commandments, and therefore you have. That's right. No place. And the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I mean, you're really on the wrong side of the stick for that. Yeah. You're exactly right. Well, I'm encouraged. I really am. Um, <coughs> Two weeks from now, we could become Pharisees. That's exactly right. Perfume. Mm. Say the seed of Moses. Mm. I... I don't think coming out of the church it should really be very difficult to be a righteous man you thought wrong oh no <laughs> I, I know I it's true we've been taught well, at least those of us in the church have been taught all our lives you cannot keep the commandments it's not possible there's no one who's ever kept the commandments and yet we fall into a faith with a holocaust that says well that's the guys that's the minimum that's the minimum. Yeah. We're expecting that you're going to keep the commandments. I mean, we can't even start from before that. I, and I really didn't realize it until chapter 12 or 13 of this book. It's not class. We're going to train righteous men. Well, heck, one cycle through the Torah, you got it. You go, therefore, and do. <laughs> and you know what? What hindereth us? What, what hindereth me from being baptized? Here, here, there is water, you know? Make it so. Right. So, come on. Keeping the commandments should be child's play. This is the next level, guys, to be a pious man. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone would have a problem creating a tombstone for any of us that says, here lies a righteous, although now crumbly man. The righteous don't decompose. There it is. The righteous don't decompose. So, here lies a righteous man. I evidently now would rather they said, here lies a pious man. But now I know the gap. It's not just doing right. It's having the character traits that are right. It's having it right on the inside. And it, it really brings to light the Master's comments about adultery. And was he really... Adding new commandments to say, no, 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 no. you've heard it said. Obviously, he can't be. Obviously. So how do you reconcile the fact that he's now saying that you shouldn't even think lustfully in your heart? Well, what's he teaching? Musar. Yeah. Ethics. He's teaching men. Paul did too. In Ephesians uh, 4 and 5. Absolutely. Let him who who stole steal no more. Yeah. You know, you're a new man. Yeah. But now that's just back to actions. Yeah. Here we're talking about character. Character. It's on the inside. Yeah. 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 So, I get it. And I don't know about you. 
I agree with your brother. That's right. That's right. That's right. If you realize you're carrying your your gift to the altar and you realize your brother is angry with you, put your gift down and go make peace. That's that's character. That's not action. That's amazing. So here we learn that the master and Akiva and Rashi and Ramkal and everybody else we know now has been teaching from the basic level, talking to righteous men who are already keeping the commandments. And when the master says to the uh, Pharisees, you guys on the inside are whitewashed bones. What's he saying? I get the fact that you're righteous on the outside, but on the inside, your character is not right. And yet, he lifted them up and made it clear that he did not come for the for, the well. for those that were well, yeah. but sick. for the sick. So he's saying, you're righteous, you got it, that's good. But there's another level. I want the other level. I don't know about you, but I want the other level. So Perhaps we can, once we're finished, revisit this in a year. Well, what I'd like to do... Uh, great, great point, Johnny. What I'd like to do is is finish going through this, and then I'd like us to walk through the scriptures. I'd like us to actually start with Matthew one, and I'd like us to go to Acts back in what's that twenty six, something twenty eight, twenty eight, twenty eight, last chapter of Acts twenty eight, I believe. Let's go through. Let's go through the four Gospels and Acts, and see how often is Musar brought up. That's cool. Rather than righteousness. And let's just you know do some highlighting in there. You can do it electronically if you like. If you feel like you can uh, have the unrighteous act of highlighting in the Scripture and Word of God. The translation of the Scripture. There you go. See, so you're using English anyway, so it doesn't matter. God won't smite you, although we could wait and see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's check that. I think that would be a great, uh, a great deal to go through. I'm going to ask you now, privately... Amidst the rest of the planet, uh, Rob uh, Vanhoff, his son, Andrew, uh, Henry, my blessed father-in-law, Fred, my brother-in-law, and David McDonald, if you would reach out to them in any way possible, especially on Tuesday night next week. Uh, if you could not only get here a couple minutes early and minister and fellowship with them, I think that you can change the world. I think that you can affect a generation of righteousness. So, I trust you to do that. And uh, I'd rather have you here late than not at all. You're welcome anytime. Anytime, literally anytime during class. (laughs) Yeah, actually, you're welcome here anytime. Anytime outside of class, too. (laughs) That's not what I meant. I meant like that you could be late. Also, I really appreciate you. Or on time. Anytime you show up, you're on time. You're early. You guys are funny men. Wait. All right. May it be your will, Adonai, our God, that a mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. Of course, they would never do that since they're, they're not like that. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh that it is Tahor and not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tameh. Bigotry. 
and telling those that are uninformed something that may not be correct. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah and we rejoice over them. That would be terrible, wouldn't it? For Hashem grants wisdom from His mouth, not ours. Comes knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. 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 Thank you, gentlemen.